0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Vancouver Know Your Neighbor. I am your host, Pranav Tamburnikar. Today, I have with me Thomas Eskin. We had a conversation about death. Why do we fear death? How, when we mourn for the loss of our loved ones, we actually mourn for our own selves? How can we create a lifestyle where death can be embraced as the natural part of existence that it is and finally by accepting and embracing death one can live a meaningful life in this extended version tom asks me about my relationship with death so just lay back and listen in hello tom thank you so much for joining me today on my podcast it's a pleasure having you here
1: well, thank you for welcoming, Pranav. It's a delight to be here with you today. Thank you.
0: You are an interfaith spiritual director. You offer support in end-of-life companionship. You have held workshops on dying matters, taught dying and death course at SFU. So right. what brought you to death, if you don't mind me putting it that way?
1: Death is around all of us. Um and yet many of us choose to push it away and by pushing it away, we don't learn from it. And in learning from it, we probably live a more full life. So from a very young age, my, my dad's family are Russian heritage, and they don't push death away. They embrace death. So uh, at a very young age, I think I was probably about four or five, I remember my dad taking me to a hospital out in the Fraser Valley uh, to meet with his grandfather who was dying. And I still have that vivid memory in my mind of meeting my dad's father, Grandpa Eskin, and he wanted to see me, I guess, before he died. Uh, But then death, because that had been such a vivid thing, I I think when I encountered other moments of death in my life, I just made connections where I wasn't pushing them away. Uh, And my dad didn't treat death as something to be feared there with his father. So it wasn't something I was worried about. And so I mean, I would have conversations at one point with my mom about death. And I remember um, asking her, so how does this work? So because you're born before my me and I'm born before my sister. Does that mean you die first and I die now? And she said, well, no, it doesn't really work that way. And she did her best to explain it. And then in elementary school, um, uh, there was a colleague of mine in grade seven, MTS, and we had did, done projects together. And he regularly fell asleep in classes and none of us Knew why, And he got picked on by a number of people. Well, it turned out he had a brain tumor, and he died uh, when I was in grade seven. And I vividly remember separately from the fact he died was that how the ones who picked on him the most were the ones who had the most tears um, after his death. And that left me with much to think about. Then at the age of 26, my mother unexpectedly got cancer and died within six months. She was 46 and I helped walk her through her death. And so this, if you can see death has been around me and I haven't pushed away, I've been with it, but then I'll go into that when my mother died, uh, and my grandparents who were like parents to me themselves, her parents, I walked my grandmother through her death because she didn't have her daughter to do it. I walked my grandfather through his death, my step-grandfather, because uh, he didn't have his stepdaughter to do it. My uh, maternal grandfather, I was there when he was dying in his last week of death. I also, in high school, I'm backtracking a bit, but it connects when my mm-hmm. grandpa, my dad's father died. My school project was making a wooden tombstone for him, um, for his grave, because in the Russian tradition, they just dumped a bunch of rocks on his uh his uh, body. And then as the body decomposed, he, it would settle. And you know that was also an interesting experience because it was a three-day Russian Orthodox type funeral where they had professional mourners, people paid to cry, and uh, three days of mourning and activities. So the short of it is, death has been around me uh, as it's around everyone. However, because I've been more aware of its presence around me and haven't tried to run from it but understand it, I suspect that has enabled me to be more embracing of it. Yeah,
0: I think one of the things that you've said that struck me actually was like how you said one of the one of your classmates in grade seven. You no one knew that he was suffering through a tumor, brain tumor, and then he passed away. The people who actually picked on him cried the most because that's how they probably showed their emotion, even though the intent was good to kind of make a connection, but then they they felt it. That was that's I don't know, it's it says something. It's beautiful in some ways. Although it was tragic, but yeah.
1: Yes, well it is in one sense it forced them to self-reflect. Mm. I, I, I think is what you're pointing out. Yeah. And hopefully they grew from it. When- yeah.
0: And from your experiences through the conversations that you have had with people over time, what are some of the common fears that people have surrounding death and why do you, what do you think drives those fears?
1: I would say it's twofold. A lot of folks, their fear of death isn't death itself, it's the dying process and not wanting to have pain when they die. So that is often a primary concern. It's, I just don't want to be in pain when I die. Then you go for those who fear death itself. It's often those I see who didn't necessarily live a good life. And so their conscience is coming to haunt them in life. And so they fear the consequences of death. That's interesting. That's actually interesting.
0: And I think like, death leaves void in the lives of loved ones left behind and so we fear usually of losing someone to death and so we suffer also in the thought of losing someone to death and it doesn't mean that people who are dying have no fear for themselves but more so I think it is it comes from the fear of leaving their loved ones without the support that they can give what do you think about that that they can give to them (laughs) Or, or just the fear of that people have from, uh, or how does that play into the lives of people? What do you think about that?
1: One thing I noticed, and I started to explore it in conversation in the 90s, was I noticed when I went to funerals, that when people cried, they rarely were crying for the person who died. And I really mean rarely. They were crying for themselves. So then at one point, I had a conversation with a, f- a friend, a work colleague who was a doctor, a medical doctor. And I explained what I was seeing. I, I said, well, what do you think is it? She said, in her experience, it was obvious that, well, people were sad in a sense that someone had died, they really were mourning their own mortality with their tears, but they were projecting it psychologically onto the deceased. But their words, you know, as they say in psychology, action speaks louder than words. Their words were often about themselves, not about the deceased is what I heard. Yet their tears were projected onto the deceased. So I have, I believe that Well, people feel a sense of loss. And of course, medical science and or psychology may have their own interpretations on this that differ from people who are rooted in more spiritual traditions, religious traditions. I have the sense that what the the Western world calls loss at a deeper level is a personal awareness that our own lives will at one day be lost. And I've had direct experience with this with my maternal grandmother. Having walked a number of people through their dying processes, um, my maternal grandmother had emphysema later in life, and she was having some struggles living, but still was living a full life, lived on her own. And my sister was pregnant uh, with her third child. And uh, just for context... When my mother was dying and my grandmother and I were there at the hospital one day, the uh, head nurse came to us and said, you know, I think your, your daughter, your mother is hanging on for the family. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that type of thing. And so my grandmother and I were curious sorts and I still am. And so we said, well, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, you know, frequently people hang on in life because they're scared of dying because they don't want to disappoint those around them. And so this nurse said, I think that your your daughter, your mother is doing the same thing. And she encouraged my grandmother to go talk to my mother and let her know it was all right to die. And just on an aside, my dad eventually found out that we did that. And he, to this day, holds a grudge against me because he feels that that conversation my grandmother had with my mother caused my mom to die. But my mother was going to die anyway. She had terminal cancer. So I say that because we had had that experience in 1990. And when my grandmother died in the early 2000s, well, when, before she died, she called me and said, Tommy, I'm tired. I just don't want to live anymore. And I said, you know, please explain. And she did. And she said, but I'm, you know, Karen's my sister. She's having her her child. It's due in January. And I, I just I feel I need to stay here for that. And so then I remembered that conversation the nurse had with my grandmother and I. And I said, well, grandma, I remember that conversation the nurse had with us around mom. And she said, oh, yeah, and we talked about it. I said, you know, it's all right to die if you feel you want to die. I said, uh, you know, and that opened a moment where we openly talked about our life as family, about how much we meant to one another how much we deeply loved one another and we spoke about our love one another there. The conversation ended naturally. Uh, We had brought her to the hospital about a month later for something. She seemed well. She died that night. This was the closest person in my life, closer than my mother. I did not shed a tear, not because I didn't love her, not because she wasn't important to me, but because we loved one another and we put closure in life To the fact she wanted to die, it actually felt natural. And so if people had those types of conversations in life, talked about how much we love one another, we respect one another, how much various people have meant to us at different stages in our life. If we actually engaged in those serious, heartfelt, important conversations in life, then when someone dies, why would there be a loss? Because death is natural. So accepting the naturalness of it, then the question is, how do we not feel something natural is a loss?
0: We overcome that by how we relate to death in life. That's actually very, very beautiful. I probably have internalized it, not have put in words, but that's very wonderful. Like if you have a conversation, I think that is so true. Uh, That is so true. Like I've seen with my family, own family, and when something like that happens, and When someone just holds their hand, when like someone is almost there, just hanging on in that situation and you just go hold their hand or just give your presence, make them feel like it's okay to let go now. It's But then it is happening on the hospital bed when they're like almost about to you know they're hanging on because of the family it's beautiful it's actually very good point that you said and the experience that you've had is have that conversation people need that closure or that acceptance that it's like you said it's an and it is a natural process and once once you have that conversation it makes easier for both for the for the dying to leave peacefully and for the living to you know have had that conversation have had that closure for themselves that's that is true. I can feel that I can, I can feel how that can make life more in a very good way, livable and live with the love and thought of the person who has passed away, having them in the thoughts and just, yeah, it's wonderful actually. Thank you. You're
1: not trying to push away the inevitable. Yes. Everything dies in its own time. I mean, it's one of the beautiful uh, books of the um, Jewish Bible and the Christian Bible, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, where everything in its turn, you know. So uh, an insect, a mosquito lives for three days, uh, a human might live for three score and ten still, the sun lives for millennia. Uh, yet the sun will still die in its own way as humans will die as that mosquito dies. We all have a time frame. So what is it about the human condition that it tries to deny the truth of existence, that death is part of existence? And instead of pushing it away constantly, which I think we're seeing during COVID, yeah. and it creates suffering, understanding it's part of life. And then our relationship not just to death changes, but our relationship to life changes. And I'm gonna, I actually pulled out a quote here from two of them. One is from Tolstoy. It is obvious for everyone that death expects us all in the long run, but never, nevertheless, we live our lives as if there will be no death. And this one from uh, Cicero. There's a certain limit to the appropriate length of any time in this world. Just as the fruits and vegetables are limited by the seasons of the year, everything should have its beginning, its life, and its ending, after which it should pass away. Wise people willingly submit to this order. When you embrace the fact that you are going to die, and it's not, it's, not, there's nothing you can do about it, and it's just a, an acceptance, a full acceptance, then you might appreciate how life is accepted for the gift it is. You know, us being here alive in a human form on this beautiful blue planet as it's seen from space, blue and white planet, that is a real gift. And instead of worrying about that we're going to die at a certain date and pushing it away, embrace life as the gift it is, knowing that it has a finite period of time and then we will live it very differently as individuals and as a collect, because we'll realize that it's so special, we need to do something special with it. That's true.
0: So in, on the same lines, continuing, are there ways in which one can mindfully practice accepting death or heal from death? Heal as in accepting, not heal as in not pushing it away, but like accepting death mindfully.
1: Well, in life, um, I'm going to put aside that if you're just had someone die um, and you Mm -hmm. haven't gone through a, a reflective process, you would probably, you will have to engage in different activities to heal yourself and embrace that you have what would be a loss. If you live your life embracing death, you are living a life in reflective awareness And then it's almost like, you know, in Buddhism, as an interface spiritual director, I'm very active in different traditions and aware and practice different traditions. Buddhism will speak to that in every single moment we are dying. And of course, science speaks to that. They speak about how the body... Uh, is rejuvenating and the whole human body rejuvenates every seven years or so. Well, the Buddha spoke about that 2,500 years ago before there was modern science. And that's so that even as we're living, there's aspects of our body that are dying. So for Buddhists, you will maybe have a breath meditation practice where you're seeing thoughts arising in your, your meditation and you see them arise, fall and pass away that even in each breath you we take we are giving life there is a rising and then there's a death of our think thoughts in every moment separate from the physical uh, uh, birth and death that is happening mm-hmm. in, in every moment so you, there are spiritual practices sufis in islam have some wonderful practices about die before death buddhism speaks about dying before death some christian mystics have that phrase and it isn't about killing ourselves before death it's in a sense this is where you get in, into my my um twist if you want to say it on this is that For most of the mystical schools of religions, including Vedas and Hinduism, is an awareness that the ego is a construct and that every moment we are giving life to a socialized construct of the the created sense of self. And that dying before death is dying to the belief that the ego is actually a living entity. And when one dies to the belief that the ego exists on its own, we then open up a space whereby we can recreate the ego in a more positive way or move into a place where we don't give birth to that ego. And that's very Zen in their 12 woodblock carvings where they speak to the stages of overcoming the ego. So one of the challenges for the West and its Western model is where the East is more collectivist and might be more able to be aware that you have to give up of self to be with others. The West promotes this idea of individualism. And in a sense, the Western model promotes the sense of self and strengthens the sense of self. And so some of the loss that you spoke of earlier in my, my, way of thinking of this is that someone has their sense of self has created been created around attachments to individuals strong or weak attachments and when that individual is out of their life whether they die or they move or they drop the friendship or there's a family dispute the sense of loss comes because we've lost a sense of ourself and there's a an empty place in our sense of self that we don't know what to do with. So if one's already died before death, they realize that those empty places were created by us, in a sense, by our thinking patterns. And we just they then become learning moments about what was my attachment to that person? Why did they mean so much to me? Um, Why am I feeling lost? and they become points for personal growth and awareness to deepen in our understanding about this thing called life versus just getting wrapped up in the idea of loss which then in one sense perpetuates the pain because we're we're wrapped up in the discomfort we're not trying to understand the discomfort
0: that's a very that's a very good point to it's again creating a sense of self in that's it takes a lot for an individual to kind of go through that journey when they lose someone they it takes a journey within is is what I what I think to rediscover that and find one own self and find the strength in one own self and not find it in others and you know have parts of you placed in others when this is something that I've been practicing also is like when you're full of yourself in the sense that When you give that, give yourself the strength and the ability to deal with things and then only you can just give others. And when anything happens, you have yourself to go back to, which is stronger always to heal you is what I feel.
1: And in the Western tradition, because they really promote the sense of self, when you speak as you have, it's perceived as selfish. Yet when one has engaged in a depth of spiritual practices over time, they realize actually by letting go of the false self and strengthening what I would call the true self, the Mm -hmm. pure consciousness, it actually has the opposite effect of creating selfishness. It actually has the definite effect of creating more love, more Mm -hmm. compassion, more empathy for others. It has the complete opposite of the way Western science perceives it, because Western science misunderstands the nature of self. They think it to be a a true thing. You're born, in many ways, they might say, as something. Uh, And we know from spirituality that sense of self is deeply socialized. That is true.
0: For the people who are suffering through, say, terminally ill diseases and death is a certainty for sure for everyone but for the people who suffer through terminally ill diseases they have it see even more nearer to their future how could that change the way an outsider sees death or they themselves see death and would that change
1: by observing someone who's terminally ill how can someone learn or
0: yes how could that change uh, the way you think about death? If that brings you closer to death. Says like although one knows that death is certain, but then having seen it in front like that through that way, how could that change the way one perceives death? Oh
1: well that I mean that's it's as much the ways it will impact you be as varied as there are humans and both the one dying and the one observing. If the one dying is in Complete pain, to give an example, and we certainly don't want anyone to suffer, and the one observing is fearful of pain, you could then see how they might be socialized and being fearful of death. Um, While one can be in pain while dying, the mindset might be such that you're not giving as much life to the pain. And um, I, I know one lady in Toronto that this woman is phenomenal. She's in her 80s. She has experienced so much pain in her life. And she perseveres and she w- moves through it. Even when she's in pain, she doesn't complain about it. She finds ways to adapt her life around it. She's always positive, even in her pain. So if you encounter someone like that, you don't really know is in pain unless you know her very well, you would have no idea. And you might relate to the dying process as very positive. So one in a lot of pain could make one feel very fearful. One in a lot of pain could make others not feel fearful. So it's one of those things that just depends on the one dying and the one living. But do keep in mind, it it is often the misnomer, you know, this phrase, oh, well, you know, I have X number of months to live. Uh, well, certainly, there's been many people who've overcome, including in my family, people who've had death sentences and are alive 20 years later, and they were supposed to be dead 20 years ago. So just because science says something doesn't mean it's true. Uh, though, they, I mean, they certainly know what they're talking about a lot of the time, but they're, they're not right. They're not gods. It's like they say in Buddhism, when you when you your fingers pointing at the moon, don't mistake your finger for the moment uh, doctors are doctors they're not uh, gods yeah. at the same time dying process is that it just depends on your relationship to it as an individual both the one dying and not the ones in the the it with a terminal illness or that was the point is to keep in mind that you're still living you're living until you die yeah. um so even if you have an illness like this friend of mine in toronto um she's been ill for decades and she's still living. And she has a strong will to live. You can be given a terminal ailment like my mother and she was having birthday parties and doing as much as she could. She lived while the medical system said she was dying. So people also can keep in mind that just because you might have a terminal illness or you have a other illnesses that cause ongoing challenges, you're still living till the body gives up the ghost, as they say. And so if one relates to death in that way, you then, even if you're formally diagnosed with a diagnosis of death, uh, that's imminent death, you still are living. We have a diagnosis of imminent death. We just don't know the date, so to speak, but we know that within 100 years, usually less, we're going to die. So it, there's really no difference in my mind between one person getting an, an, a medical diagnosis and living until they die. And you and I, without that diagnosis, living till we die. The point is, is to live the gift of life. It's not to focus on the death. But by being aware of
0: death, we more fully live life. Wow, that's that's a very great way to put it. That's, that's interesting. Yes, that that's true what would it look like to integrate death into our lives and how can that change the way we live?
1: Well, there is, um, you might read the book. If you're interested in the subject is Atul Gawande. He's an American medical doctor who wrote a book called being mortal. And as a doctor, Mm -hmm. he realized how much North America is a death denying culture and how much we basically doctors do everything they can to keep people alive and then when they can't they're not really interested in them anymore that's the coles notes version of it so we have moved in my lifetime from having people live together as collective family units and people die in the same household, to the government and the medical profession, moving seniors into homes, um, people into hospitals, and death is kept out of sight, out of mind, it has become sanitized. Now, if we return to a model where people, and I mean, there there is the beginnings of this, but where people could die in their own home, die around their, their family, that in and of itself would transform our relationship to death because we would no longer be able to pretend it only happens to other people. It happens, it would be happening as it does in our own life and would be an intimate part of it. Also in the culture, instead of trying to pretend that medicine can solve everything, which it never can and it never will be able to, acknowledging that medical science is a tool to help us have a better quality of life and prolong life And at that point where medical science possibly is not contributing to a betterment of life, they should disappear out of the picture and allow for more social supports from society. So, I mean, for seniors, instead of putting in them homes where, and this does happen in in many places in Canada, where they're given drugs to sedate them so they're not a problem, we allow people to be in places that aren't homes, but they're actually, and not residents in the term they're used, they actually are given the opportunity, if they need, can't live on their own, they can live a full life as they choose to live the life, not as the medical system and the government feels is in their best interest. And we potentially then will see more seniors out and about, not just out of sight, out of mind, living life in their own unique ways. As I did on Vancouver Island, I mean, where there's lots of, it says, the eldest per capita population in Canada. I mean, you see seniors all over Qualicum Beach and Nanaimo, Victoria, uh, and you have to learn to adapt it because they drive more slowly, generally speaking. They walk more slowly if they're in their walkers, but they're everywhere to be seen. They're not out of sight, out of mind. Um, So there's another approach. There's also in North America, Atal Gawande, I believe, speaks about this in his book, there is this youth embracing culture that actually seems to consider old age as less attractive. So instead of us promoting youthfulness as the way to be, which then it becomes for me as as I age, I think it becomes pathetic where you see seniors trying to look youthful, allow people to age gracefully. And uh, that, you know, youth is is fine, but there's a wisdom, as China demonstrates, there's a wisdom in old age. So allow people to be who they are at whatever age they are. Don't expect us to have to be forever young, which is a North American thing, when that's false in and of itself. Then it it leads to the other point. um, in In the North American culture, work is very important, and you are only meaningful as long as you're productive as a economic unit for all intents and purposes. And so then when you retire, you are invisible, as I've heard many seniors say, because you're not in the workplace, you're not considered a value to society. And many people feel they're just being, you know, they're waiting to die because their use is no more. So, you know, things like extending a as Canada's done, letting people work longer if they want to work longer, but not considering people's value only to be connected to an economy considering their value to be their humanity which then leads into things like mentoring why does canada not actively promote you know those who are elderly because the, the boomers are one of the you know biggest population groups mm-hmm. in canada and they're they're elderly why aren't we taking their wisdom as wise elders and sharing it with younger people both so they i mean i'm thinking i mean i don't even consider myself old i'm 57 but Probably ancient for you. But when you think of um, in my lifetime, we've gone from stenographs st- uh, to photocopiers to fax machines to video uh, phone recorders to cell phones, which were like the size of a phone book, to smartphones that have more computer technology than did what the rocket that sent the first people to the moon. There's a lot of wisdom to be shared, and there always is with elders. If the culture more valued uh, the wisdom of elders more, if it didn't value youth as much, there's an opportunity to allow younger people both in uh, parenting skills, babysitting, mentoring opportunities to share that wisdom. But then you have younger people with people who are old, wrinkled, they smell differently, they're losing their hair, they don't walk as fast. And so then people are connected to the dying or they're connected to elderly or they're embracing the reality that they, too, We'll have old age, suffering, and death, and mm-hmm. it will be part of, all around them. But we hide it. We yes. hide it through very many ways, and then people pretend
0: it happens to everyone but them. Oh those are! Oh, it's all out there. Whatever you touched, but people not given those things a thought. Like from. The thing that you said, like how this youthfulness is promoted instead of embracing that old age and so much pressure on people to just have that youthfulness no matter what and do a lot of other things which are not natural process of aging and then try to look younger and that is so true. It is so integrated in one's life that they do not see it that way and they... When they reach a point where they cannot, no matter what they do, go back, they suffer even harder because they have never embraced it all along their lives. And that's the sad part. That gives them even bigger shock and harder to accept. If if I if I can put it that way. And also the other thing that you said, when the youth are uh, like the, you know, people who are growing up. 10, 12, 15, 20s, 30s when they have these conversations with uh, elder people it not only gives the young a chance to see what it looks like the elder age and to embrace it, it also gives like I believe in also energies even for the elder people, it gives the energy of the youth so that they have more how much of the life they have, they, they have more energy that passes on through the youthfulness that they converse with. And that is so true. The wisdom that passes through they've grown up seeing all of this, no matter when they're born, if they've, they've gone through a lot of whether they've studied or not studied, their life experiences have taught them a lot of things that They wish to pass it on to the young because what they realize at that age, they probably didn't realize it in their youth and they want to pass Mm -hmm. that on so that the youth can embracing it in a good way, at least or have an idea that this is how that could not exactly be that way. But then this is how things could be. And that's such a it's such a beautiful equation, at least. I can say I was privileged to have that because I had my grandparents growing oh. up in the same house that I was brought up. And to see them, to to just grow with them as they age and as I age, it was wonderful. That is so true because I couldn't relate to that because that part was integrated in me to embrace. Not consciously knowing, but subconsciously because I've seen And it has been integrated, and here, like you said, it is not because there is a separation. Once they grow old, they move into old age homes or things like that, etc. And there's a separation, so that's why they don't see it, you know, on a regular basis to kind of get that yes, integrated. Yeah.
1: Now I can like my when I grew up, my best friend was my maternal grandmother, so she was like what, uh, 2030. So she would have been 40 years older than I almost. Um, I hung out with her. I would go to her place at lunch during school, after work. Her, my step-grandfather was a great friend. My grandmother would talk politics with me. She was very active in politics and new elected officials would come by her house and they would talk politics with me. And I, I feel that my mind was expanded my maturity levels enhanced, my awareness of the world deepened because my relationships were with people who were older. And then throughout my life, most of my friendships, have, most people have been 20 years older than I am, probably stemming from that. I And then I have seen the benefits of those people who have mentored me, opened doors to me, taught me things that I didn't know I didn't know. Uh, where, you know, when you're young and if you just have your fellow young friends to associate with you do what you think is right and you make the mistakes and it's on the job training versus getting some of the benefits of the wisdom that our elders can teach us so and as you say the elders become energized by it and at the same time there's the wisdom that shared suffering and death becomes just accepted more accepted by us yeah. What is your relationship to death? Why don't you share with your your listeners how you perceive death and your relationship to it?
0: I have never thought of death consciously, but I have thought of just living in the moment, in the present, never knowing what's gonna happen. It's inevitable i that is there, but then my idea is to just it and it has not come overnight. For me, it has been like practiced through my readings that I've done through the people that I interact with. And that's a wonderful point. For me, like you have had, I usually tend to have, if, if even if it hasn't been for a longer period of time, even for the short duration of time, I've had deeper connections with people who are way older than me because of the teachings that they do. I like to converse because of what they can share Not necessarily, not necessarily they have to share, but even generally talking, the way they talk, it's just the experience speaks in whatever they say. It doesn't have to, they don't have to shower me with some wise, you know, suggestions or anything, but just the way they talk, the way they do things, their presence, it just makes a lot of difference. That's how it has been. And recently, my grandmother passed away, who I've grown up living in the same house with. So that made me think in terms of energy is there's no physical presence, but then I can always feel the energy because I've grown up with that person. And as you grow up, you see how they've grown up and certain values that they have or the way that the kindness, because she was very kind, loving. And those are the things when I do it, It just, I feel like that energy flows through me and that makes me feel her presence, not physically, but, you know, as an energy. And that was very beautiful revelation for me because I have not thought about it because I have not experienced that in the recent past until until this year, January. So that, that gave me another beautiful way of looking at it. And as I said, for me personally, I never... Because of all the readings, just so it has given me more ways to just live in that present and have that strength in the self. So no matter what comes, I have that self within me to, to deal with it. And it's a, as a human, you cannot neglect the physical world that you live in, the pain that you go through, the ups and downs. Those are all natural. But then when you have the self, or at least in my case, because I've developed that self, I heal quicker, I feel all those emotions and I cannot separate that. It is foolish to think that a human or a physical person cannot suffer, go through. You cannot live in oblivion to all those feelings you will feel, but then you can heal when you have that self, even, even death. Like it's for me, it's not more about death. It's about about just living in that, in that day, in that moment. What, what can I do knowing that there's going to be an end? So just living it to the fullest. No, Yeah, that's how I kind of uh, see and go through. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for asking me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being here with me and sharing your thoughts and ideas about death. And I think especially in this time, it's more needed and it needs to be embraced even more so that one can live life, just live their life you know, in, in peace
1: in some ways. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming today. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for tuning in.